I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year 1972, the album Monty Python's previous record, the artist Monty Python, my guest this week, returning, is Andre Jackman. Thank you so much for doing the show yet again. That's all right, Jason. I, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You're very informative, and you teach me a lot of what I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that uh, this time you're going to teach me something. That's that's my goal. Um, uh, so our our goal here, and you know, it's it's going to take some time. People have seen me speak with Phil Proctor of the Fireside Theater album by album. I'm hoping at some point that you and I can talk about every album. Uh, you may have the same experience that Phil does, where he's like, well. I've only got so much to talk about for this album, in which case that's absolutely fine. But um, this is your your first record producing Python. But you said you had a story about uh, the one that, that that about another Monty Python record. Yeah, that not. was that was the first uh, album that they did on their own when they left the BBC. Mm -hmm. um, that was an independent um, uh, project, really, for them, and uh, they wanted a produce their own record and I think inevitably they found that more um, difficult than, than uh, they thought it would and, and especially time consuming mm -hmm. I was actually, at the time I was actually working with Mike Palin at the time um, doing some uh, helping a friend of Mike's out and mm -hmm. so I was busy doing that and I was still my first job was building my career up and I was involved in commercials so um, uh, while I was busy doing these commercials finding music sound effects which was all very good in audio because not many people in uh, in the early 70s were doing this you know they mm -hmm. were they're, they're, they were actually mostly doing music at the studios. Very, very rare were they doing the radio. The BBC used to do all that other stuff internally. The first album that they did on their own, um, they elected Terry Jones to do it, mm -hmm. and uh, or to produce it anyway, uh, which was great. And they chose the Marquis Studios. In the interim of that, I was working with Mike on uh, some of her friends' uh, showreel, demo reel. And I was busy doing that with uh, with Mike, and uh, which took quite a long time because Mike kept dashing off, and obviously I didn't realise that they were recording uh, an album. But mm -hmm. um, I was quite used to finding sound effects in music, and so so it's very easy for me to um, get all this stuff together and and uh, produce. Um, uh, the showreels and adverts that uh, I was working on. Mm -hmm. In the interim, normally the, uh, the Pythons normally would have to do um, their own recording in the sense that the BBC did all the hard work and they just came in to do the recording. Uh -huh. so that's kind of what they thought it was like out on the outside world. <laughs> and when they were recording with the um, at the Marquee Studios where they did their first album uh, independently, um, the control room was at one end of the hallway and the studio was at the other end of the hallway and lots of rooms in between <laughs> and there was no video connection at all. So was, right. the communication was quite horrendous. Oh, so um, <laughs> uh, after a few uh, months of recording this album, um, they, uh, Terry wanted, he asked the engineer for, for the notes so that they could go through the takes and them together and then the engineer said well i thought you were taking notes and <laughs> then said, no, no no you said you were taking notes so of course they ended up um this is what terry had told me about 350 odd tapes of quarter inch reels of recording that they had to do so they had to start all over again going through oh, them. oh my god no that is so, so you can imagine it was not only was it a nightmare um, for them to put all this stuff together, uh, but also it was costing them an absolute fortune as well. Uh -huh. And I think it, at the time, from what I remember, it cost them about 40000 to do that one album. It was a very expensive album. In the early 70s, we're talking. Whole... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Crap. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking uh, sort of um, Beatles uh, costing of doing albums in those. Although they, they 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 were pretty good at doing their stuff live, really. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so um, after that experience, and I'd finished Mike's friend's showreel with Mike, Mike said to me, 
hey, Andre, do you want to, I'm not sure if we've been through this, but he said, look, um, I'm doing an album soon. Would you like to come and help us out doing it? And he said, I think you're really good at what you do. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. You know where I am. Give me a shout uh, when, you're, when you're ready. And, uh, and I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> and uh, the interim of that, in between, I was doing some stuff for um, a traveling radio show and uh, doing their live recordings and that kind of stuff for, for their shows. And they offered me a job. But the same week, Mike had rang up and said, oh, we're about to do an album. Could you come over for a meeting and we can go through what we need to do? So I had this kind of like deliberation about, do I go on the road and go on a rodeo show around the world or mm -hmm. do I do Python? And um, I didn't know Python too well at, at the time because I was always busy recording, building up my career as a, and I was only like 17. Sure. So I was a young whippersnapper. Uh -huh. So um, 17, 18, 17, 18 at the time. And uh, um, I said, okay, fine, Mike, I'll, I'll come down. So I, I went down and uh, everybody was there in the room apart from um, one person. And uh, I was introduced to everybody. And Mike then decides to um, tell me about what they had to do and uh, the experience that they had uh, on doing their last album. And he showed me this huge pile of scripts, which was about 18 inches, nearly two foot long. Uh -huh. So, well, that's what you want to record, he said. <laughs> um, can you give us an idea? You know, how long you think it's going to take and what we need to do. And then the doorbell rang and then in walks John Cleese and then the penny drops about who these guys were. Mm -hmm. and, and I kind of thought, oh, bugger. I said, uh, I, I'm just a young whippersnapper here. These guys are Oxford, Cambridge. I've got a swimming certificate and a bicycle certificate. <laughs> what the hell am I doing in the same, <laughs> same room as them? And they're asking me <laughs> what to do. Um, so it was kind of um, quite a, a weird thing. So anyway, um, Terry went on to tell me about their story on the, uh, the Marquee album. And um, I could see that they desperately needed help. And mm -hmm. so at least I had that kind of knowledge about how to put things together and what to do and, and, and keeping order of things. Um, and that was Monty Python's previous album, which was the first album I was involved in. And the budget for that, we came in at £10,000. And I got my producer's fee at £200. <laughs> <laughs> I somehow figured that was roughly what you were going to tell me. So this is so there are a number of I mean obviously we we're going to go through the album but there, you've already just brought up so many questions. So I feel like in America had they been so did they they own Python? Have they always owned the intellectual property of Python so they could just uh, no, make the records? No, it was it was it was uh, it was being accumulated as they went as time went on. Mm, so mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the time scale was on that. But um, because when you do a film, the film company uh, there'll be a film company sure. and a distributor, and they own, own those rights and everything. So it's quite a while until they actually bought all their properties back. Wow! And, and never do they, uh, uh, they they did do so. They do own everything now, right? In some time. But at the time, they were still working on it. How were they? Whatever. I, you know, the, the rights part of it, I'm going to bore people with. I'm fascinated with it, but I, I, I am very curious about how they, they, they did it. But you, you were then brought, I mean, okay, so do you bother listening to the first record before you get into this one? Or are you just wholly invested in this and this is your job? Um, no, this was, my, this was my job. I had a job to do. Um, it's interesting because people will always say, oh, God, it must have been hilarious working with them. But, but uh -huh. it's actually, we, we treated it very seriously. And of course, we laughed about things that happened and things sometimes we'd try something out and it was just so silly that it was, it was almost stupid that we, we couldn't make it. But we had a good laugh while we were doing it. But mm -hmm. in, 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 at the end of the day, we had to get a product done and, mm -hmm. and get it finished. And in a sense, it was... Um, how can you split it? Uh, it was left for them to come up with the kind of sketches in the writing. And then it was left to me to actually put the whole thing together and make sure that you got a few laughs out of it. And so it was a good combination. And because I was really 
good at finding sound effects and music and it, it, it's very quick for me to accumulate and put all this stuff together as mm -hmm. i said there weren't many people outside the bbc doing that sort of stuff so of course i come along do all this you know get this album done for 10 grand they had very little input in the sense that um in in time for them because i just send them away and then i'd get on with my stuff then we'd have a meeting i'd play them the stuff and they'd go we change it five times and then we invariably go back to the version that i did at the beginning so <laughs> it was kind of um an experience that and they all have the the thing is they all have their own opinion about how they want things done sure and uh, invariably i was assigned a python um to kind of like um give the yes and no's to like if it was sometimes it was eric sometimes it was mike uh sometimes it was gillian and sometimes it was terry jones um so we kind of worked we did work as a group and a team uh but the beauty about it was that i did all the grafting as it were after mm -hmm. they'd done their bit so they had very little responsibility and uh, they could get on with their lives while I put all this rubbish together, you know. See, that's what I was wondering. They seem like, and this is not, I don't mean this in an insulting way, they're technically inept. They know what they want. They know what they how, how they want it to sound. No idea how to make that happen, obviously, because otherwise they wouldn't spend 40 grand on the first one, which is, again, still just it is aching, quaking me to the bones. Like, I don't even know how to think about that amount of money for one record. Holy cow, especially since I've, you know, I self-produce all my stuff digitally now. It's free, you know, well, you know, it's so easy now, but <laughs> wow. So they, they give you the, so, and I, I know that we also discussed this on the, on the last episode, you know, what your sort of experience was in comedy, but it, it sounds like very, I mean, how much is that, does that collaboration happen? Because, you know, you have to have timing, you're, in, you know, you, you have to know how to edit something to make it timed the way they want it to to be as funny as possible so are you learning comedy editing and producing just in in situ basically um, that's a yeah that's quite a hard question to answer because mm -hmm. it kind of comes naturally over the years i've trained many uh engineers you mm -hmm. know and coming in, who wanted to come into sound and sometimes people slot into it and it works and sometimes it doesn't i mean my whole job career thing was was an accident really because um i was uh, just in a, a band and i wanted to record my band i couldn't afford to record my band so i thought well, the best way of actually recording my band was to get a job in a recording studio and i can have all the recording time that i want Fair. so my whole motivation for actually doing what I'm doing uh, was completely opposite to what I should be doing, if you know something. <laughs> yeah. But um, naturally, the job always becomes a bit more important. Uh, I mean, I was in the band for five, six years playing and uh, earning a really good living. But in between that, I was working in the studio during the day. And uh, I, had, I had to be very grateful to my mentor, which was uh, somebody called Alan Bailey, who mm -hmm. taught me really engineering. Um, not necessarily about comedy timing, but um, Alan Bailey. Alan Bailey was uh, chief engineer at Radio Luxembourg for many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. And Radio Luxembourg was a uh, independent, um, based in Belgium, I think it was, or Brussels, I think, uh, radio station. But they had a, a, a recording studio over in London, and that nurtured so many great DJs of. of the 70s 80s and 90s or well maybe not 90s but certainly 60s 70s 80s okay and um he'd worked with i mean alan had worked with everybody i mean and and he was again he was gifted really in what he'd just stick a microphone up and it he would make it sound brilliant i love and, it uh, he was he was just incredible and i'd sat and i watched him and asked him questions and he'd show me how to do this and about editing and um and then inevitably uh, this was at the studio where i started um called studio g uh and he'd left luxembourg then and just started a few weeks before i did there and then inevitably he went back to radio luxembourg and i then was offered his position in the studio. Wow. Um, and that's when the mic thing happened and um, uh, and the first album. And I thought, because I was kind of quite young, I thought, how, how am I, I going to play this? And I thought, oh, I know. I'll produce this, but I'll get Alan 
to be my engineer for it. So then we put Radio Luxembourg to do the Monty Python's previous album. And um, then we kind of covered it all together then. And that's how wow. that, that, all, that, that all happened. I mean, that's brilliant. <clears throat> Pardon me. That's brilliant. I mean, not only just knowing your own strengths and weaknesses, but knowing it's nice that you had a backup of somebody who could, as you say, do the full engineering of it. And probably I'm assuming then walk you through even more stuff that you you hadn't learned before. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of, I, I, I knew by that time, obviously, I knew, I knew kind of what I was doing mm -hmm. and I knew how Alan worked. So um, he and I went went through the stuff and uh, um it was it was kind of easy to actually work uh, together as a team because he was a, a great mate of mine and uh, um, he loved working with the Pythons. Um, you know, he, 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 I think we all got on really really well, um, and we just kind of just fell into this sense that everybody knew had their place and knew what they were doing. And everybody, everybody trusted everybody. If you know yeah. something about that time, I think I th even even right from the beginning, I, I think uh, the Pythons weren't worried about me being so young uh, and involved. They, I assume, I must have uh, relayed my confidence to them <laughs> or bluffed my way <laughs> into <laughs> knowing what I was doing, um, because there was no discrepancy. There were no questions afterwards, or are you doing the right thing, or what? It, mm -hmm. it, it, it just let you get on with it, and uh, it was fine. And we, it, it, it just happened that we were clever enough to, you know. My, I mean, I came from a. My father was very funny. My mum was German, so she had a. A strange sense of humor, but she was uh, she had a Germanic sense of humor, but uh -huh. she was a funny lady, mm -hmm. you know. She understood, you know, and uh, she'd always um, go down saying, Oh, these bloody Germans, <laughs> she was a total, <laughs> totally German, and uh, saying, Why are you all these Germans pushing the cues all the time? She was going, <laughs> you know, very funny, but um, so they were they were funny. So, I guess my comedy kind of side of things was um from that you know from mm -hmm. they um uh, I, I got a good sense of humor from uh, from them and obviously it, that just extended into python really this this record okay so there's 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 a lot to break down um because this is not just a record with great music and great sound effects by the way a lot of people did want to know about oh was that all library music i'm assuming it was all library music was there anything originally other than the their individual songs was was the rest of it library music uh it was all library music yeah okay yeah okay. for, for that one we uh we chose uh library. nothing was specially composed apart from the songs that mm -hmm. we, we we did um so we've got uh yeah, Eric the Half a Bee was, and that was a live performance as well. Mm -hmm. so what was the, the biggest group of musicians you brought in at one at any point? Was it relatively small or? Um, yes, there were. I, th I think probably at the most about eight. I think, in, okay. in, in, and that goes right through to all all the albums and all the people that we'd actually worked with, uh, because we want to keep the budgets tight and, mm -hmm. and small. And I didn't want to end up getting running away with getting this too expensive uh, business about me being fired because I was too expensive. <laughs> That's fair. You know what? That is a fair concern. <laughs> well, well, you know, oh my goodness. But I mean, what I, I guess what I don't, again, because it, it's harder for me to have a conception of this at all, is dealing with a tight budget, but also trying to make something not just funny, well, I guess my question was about comparing a lot of the sketches that are on this to anything that's on the show. I've told this to a lot of people, and uh, I guess they repeat it a lot just because I think, you know, it's fun to talk about. I prefer the albums to the show, and I love the show, but I still prefer the albums. Mm. And I'm I'm assuming, and I, you tell me if I'm wrong, please, but uh, you weren't you weren't comparing these to the original. Were you? Were, you're just like, no, this. I have the material that's in front of me. Let's make it the best it can be. Yeah, uh, the, well, I think, you know... There was a bit of a trick there, really, because I didn't know the TV shows that well. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I didn't know after the first few episodes that went out on air, I hadn't been involved at all with Python and I didn't know who they were. So um, the only thing, whenever Python was advertised, it was always a picture of John Cleese, and which is why I recognized him when he walked Makes into sense. the room. And he was the, the main character that they'd always showed uh, to advertise um, the program. So... In a sense, I kind of treated them all as new material. 
Yeah. And I didn't really, uh, and I think I didn't, I thought if they were funny in their own right, then they're going to be funny whether it's the same sketch done the same way or the same sketch done in a different way. If it works and you makes you smile and you laugh about it, then it's kind of working as a, as a piece of entertainment. So yeah. um, I kind of treated them bas- basically as, as new material. I, I'm trying to think. So I, I, I mentioned earlier that I've spoken with Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater, and he's he gave me a bro- breakdown, and I cannot remember the exact years, but they started making records in roughly 68. And he's like, you know, within 10 years, you know, the, the number of tracks you got could was so high. How many tracks could you, on a technical aspect, uh, how many tracks were you working with at the time? Um, the, we, st- <laughs> um, we worked on the, I'm just trying to think, the previous album, we worked on four track. Okay. And, uh, the most we worked on was 16 track. Mm-hmm. Um, we recorded the Every Sperm song on eight track. Uh-huh. Would you believe? And there was about fifty elements on that. Right. <laughs> so would you believe fifty? Is that doubling elements. up tracks? Then did you do it yeah. that way, or you okay? You had to bounce the track onto another track while you're adding another track. That's crazy. I know. You kind of think back, and you you kind of look back, and you thought, "Shit, we must have been really quite clever then to, yeah. to actually." Do. I don't think I like to attempt it. No, no, it would be a challenge to do it now. But um, yeah, you had to bounce and commit. Yeah. You couldn't get back. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's uh, there's that, and then there's a ton of physical cutting of tape, which people I don't think realize. No, I, that, that was I always remember my first epic kind of uh, introduction to digital, and uh, it was a Studer system. And um, a friend of mine was uh, came in from Studer in uh, England, uh, a distributor wanted to show me this new editing system, and. Uh, um, he showed me how it works, and uh, I did some edits on it and stuff. And he, he he said, "Have you not worked with digital before?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody be that quick doing this on digital." And basically, I was just doing mentally analog editing on digital, if you know. Yeah, right. Uh, but again, it was all down to this timing thing, and. Uh, um, and comedy is all about timing, and uh, or, or a lot, a lot of it is very important that it's about timing. So, um, I had a sort of a natural inbuilt timing, and uh, something that John Cleese is very good at. If you if you know, he leaves these massive pauses every time, and then picks up and stuff. He's he's very clever at doing that, John. And uh, mm-hmm. um, you kind of you pick all this from each individual person and you you learn by, by that but I, I had this kind of inbuilt thing about uh, timing and that helped me to actually work into or my introduction to digital when you perform music what is your instrument of choice my instrument of choice probably guitar i think mm-hmm. um and uh Pedal steel, I think, is pretty cool. Oh my goodness, I love yeah. that. Which is, uh, I have a friend of mine. Uh, he was a, a guy called Pete Wilshire, who uh, he's he's played with just about every major band during the 60s, 70s. Anyway, he was in Nashville, and he he bought me a pedal steel because he said, "Did I want one?" And I said, "Yeah." So he bought me an MSA pedal steel, and wow. um, it was quite. And I, I'm, and I, I got reasonably okay on it. Not, I wouldn't say good, but okay on it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got so busy in in Python world and stuff mm-hmm. like that, it went back in the in the case. And uh, I still got it, and I will stick it up at some point and and start learning learning it again. But I think okay. I think it's very good. Now here's an interesting thing. I used to have it up in the studio mm-hmm. where we, we in in Common Garden where we did a lot of the Python recording. And uh, John Cleese walks in one day and he says, Andre, what's this beautiful looking instrument here? Because it was maroon red, Mm -hmm. really glossy. And uh, the metalwork was all sort of um, Apollo mission metal. Because NSA was made, uh, they made the metal for the Apollo people. And and he was a big pedal steel fan. And he made this... um, 
by Pilsen. He was a marvellous instrument. Look at that. <laughs> and he said, what is it? And I said, oh, it's a, it's a pedal steel, John. Oh. He goes, uh, what's it sound like? And I said, well, you hear it on country music. Oh. It's not that bloody awful sounding whiny thing that goes up in the back. God, I hate those. And then he walks out the room. <laughs> I just burst out laughing. It was, it was just so funny. He had this great introduction of building it up and then, ah, oh, and then walks, walks so up. Good. Yeah, so John, so John, please. I, the reason I ask is because, you know, there are a lot about your, your particular choices. Like there are, it's a well-known thing. I think that a lot of comedians who are musicians, uh, some of them start as like Mel Brooks is, I may be the biggest example was a drummer. So, you know, just like the natural timing of that. But I think as a guitarist, especially if you're playing on your own, having your own set of timing, uh, concepts, you have to, you know, relatively have a metronome in your own head. Um, I'm assuming your sense of rhythm, what I'm saying is, I'm assuming your sense of rhythm rhythm must have helped you as a comedy. Oh, yeah, I think, I'm, I'm, without, without a shadow of a doubt, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's why I enjoy working with um, um, with um, musicians still today and, and people like Ray Cooper, who is a fantastic percussion player. Um, he's Elton John's percussion player. Uh -huh. He's, he's uh, a session player and he's absolutely brilliant. Ray Cooper and I've done quite a lot with Ray and uh, I think again it's it's all about we understand timing very much so and uh, it's um, uh, yeah I think it is inbuilt in you and I think being part musician part producer mm -hmm. part engineer I think it's, some, it's something that you know I, with Python we were lucky because we did everything we did we did music we did th sort of theatre we did TV we did uh, films Mm -hmm. and, um, I think everybody, uh, if you couldn't find anybody to do what you wanted to do, you had to do it yourself. So we ended of up course. doing it. And they're like that as well, Python like that as well. So quite, quite bizarre how, um, for instance, the um, Life of Brian, the, uh, the space sequence, uh, and the spaceship, that, mm -hmm. was built, that was built in our attic in Covent Garden. <laughs> spaceship we actually shot it up in, up in the attic holy crap kind of like, yeah you kind of like, wow you know and then julian doyle who was the uh, kind of um associate producer or producer on that uh and cameraman and lighting man and he would build a set in the corner film it you know and, and we knock this stuff together and then he said oh, give me a bit of sound for the blah 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 said, yeah okay fine we knock so we'd all we'd all contribute there, there was no oh well it's not my job to do that or whatever. <laughs> we'd, we'd all you know we'd all come to the rescue and and do our best so and thankfully we did because else we wouldn't have had the product the amount of product that we have today of course mike you know what's occurring to me now is that um just the even the idea sometimes on the show and even in the early movies of using, <clears throat> let's say, a piece of stock footage. The joke sometimes is, doesn't this look off? This doesn't quite match. However, I don't think that in this, it just somehow adds to the depth of the whole thing, even if it's just library music, because you don't pay attention. Same with like a library sound effect. They all sound equally good and equally beautiful. I feel like that elevates the records in a different way. They don't feel as cheap as the show. And again, I don't mean that as an insult. I love the show, but it feels higher end. Well, the thing about that is that I, because I didn't know the sketches on TV, mm -hmm. I, um, I chose music that I thought was suitable. All the music choices were what I'd come up with. Yeah. I'd find them, lay, uh, lay the tracks on, play it to the guys, and they'd very happy with it all the time because I would pick something that I thought suited what we were listening to. Right. And I wasn't aware of anything, what the TV shows were playing. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no connection there at all because I didn't know what the what – um, I was looking for all I know was I was looking for something that suited the sketch. Yeah, so they were sincere choices rather than than ironic choices. So I think again, it lends itself to a different experience. It does exactly. That's right. That's right. And maybe that was partly why a lot of people quite liked both sometimes TV or or, or the records. And it was the records that really broke them big time in America. Mm -hmm. it, it, wasn't the TV shows? It was the records that really introduced Python, first of all, um, by uh, Nancy Lewis, who who worked for 
um, the record company. I can't mm-hmm. think who she worked for at the time. But anyway, Nancy Lewis was uh, responsible for bringing Python really to America. There are, um, I want to go back to the library sound effects too, because, uh, and I, again, I apologize. I did re-listen to our interview, but I can't remember if I asked about this. Um, you're dealing with library music and library sound effects. Were there any that, any sound effects? So, I mean, other than the disgusting ones that they're clearly yeah. dealing, dealing doing with their mouths, are there other ones you had to make yourselves? Um, yeah, quite a few. Um, yeah. Luckily, um, the story goes that after I'd done Python's previous album, because mm-hmm. most of that was all put together at Radio Luxembourg and mm-hmm. the studios, um, I decided we were cutting the album, and I decided to go. Uh, and have a studio at home. And um, my writing partner, who uh, I was in the band with, uh, um, a chap called Dave Hellman, who we co-wrote Life of Brian, title music, and uh, Every Spend the Sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, we, um, <clears throat> we were at Apple, actually, at uh, the Beatles studio, catching the record. And uh, I was talking to Dave on the phone, and I was saying... Uh, I think I'm going to go out on my own and have this studio day. Do you want to come with me and uh, be involved? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, great. Okay, fine. And so I put the phone down and then Mike came to me and Mike said, look, I, I'm, he said, I'm sorry, but I overheard you talking to Dave and uh, I would like to be involved with you in uh, getting the studio made. I went, oh, okay. He said, look, come over for, for dinner and in a few weeks time and let's have a discussion about it so that was kind of cool um and uh, my dad had just finished building a greenhouse so uh in the garden so i said to my dad i said dad how do you feel about me commandeering your greenhouse and turning it into a recording studio (laughs) sorry the story is going somewhere i'll tell you i don't Um, know i believe me i love it and uh he goes well i've just finished building it I said well I said look we've got a patio area there you can put another greenhouse there <laughs> so uh, went, yeah I suppose I could do <laughs> anyway he was kind enough to let me have the greenhouse so uh, Dave and I started building the studio I went to Mike for dinner mm-hmm. and uh, Mike uh, said uh, right I'd like to be involved I want to help you out how much do you need <laughs> and I went oh wow um I don't know, mate. I said I've saved. I've saved a bit of money. I, I suppose about a thousand pound would should do the trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because uh, I had uh, I had a few record tape recorders and microphones and stuff, so I sure. said about a thousand pound would get us going. He went, oh, all right, then fine. He gets his checkbook out and writes me a check for a thousand pound. And I said, Mike, you're giving me a thousand pounds. We've got no agreement. Uh, I could have a great holiday on this. <laughs> and thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I can bagger off from here and, and go to the Bahamas with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes, no, 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 Andre, I, I trust you 100%, Andre. I tr- you know, you're, you're a decent chap. You're, you're, you're very talented. I trust you. Take the £1,000. Get yourself sorted out. And ever since then, Mike and I have been partners. I bought the rest of the equipment uh, with the £1,000. And um, we did the matching time hanky in that greenhouse. I love that. That's so, so good. there you go. Your father's a very patient man. <laughs> Holy oh, cow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. He was a very, very patient man. He was a greengrocer in Hampstead, and he used to serve people like Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, even Mick Jagger. They used to all come into his shop because he had all this exotic fruit and when when it wasn't sold in supermarkets uh-huh. in those and he knew all these guys you know he knew all, all these guys really well these um and even grand chapman used to come into the shop so when i helped my dad sometimes out on a saturday graham would come in <laughs> and there i am in a white coat saying yes graham, what can i do what can i get you blah blah blah, blah. or if i'd help my dad doing deliveries or something i'd go around to graham's house to be, be the grocery delivery boy and he'd go, come in andre come in you know and then he'd pour you a drink and he goes, graham, I've, got, I've got other work to do i can't i can't hang around here all day no no, no you must stop and have a drink come in and so you, you stagger out of his house. Um, you know, it was very dangerous, very dangerous job uh, being a greengrocer's son. And um, we, <laughs> it was really funny having these, these, but I was only helping my dad out because sometimes he was short of staff. So I, I, I'm sure. quite, 
quite happy helping Dave and I were quite happy helping him out doing deliveries or working in the shop. But and you see all these people. So um, at that, I suppose really fame didn't blast me out at all, really, you know, because I was working with them in the studio anyway. So right. Very, very peculiar. Anyhow, <laughs> back to your original question about sound effects. Yes. What, that having a greenhouse turn into a recording studio in the garden where we had a small pond, we had a shed, we had a garden gate, we had hedges, we had grass, we had uh, earth to mess about in. Everything was on our fingertips. You know, mm -hmm. if it started raining and it's thunder, you stick a mic out, you record the thunder, record the rain. We had a pond to do water sound effects. Oh, we wanted a garden shed door, wanted a window. Everything was there. We'd record and it was just very quick. Mm -hmm. Rather than research through libraries, we, we recorded a lot of stuff so live. Ah. So uh, it. it was quite funny. And uh, and the, the greenhouse days were a lot of fun. And, and I did most of the recording stuff with Terry Gilliam, actually, there. And uh, Terry and I were... <laughs> and to think that we had a... Uh, our control wasn't massively huge, but um, it was probably about... Uh, six foot by six foot maybe slightly bigger and we had this tiny little bench where terry had slept on overnight while we worked overnight <laughs> and, uh, and you think where terry is now and, and sometimes if the back door was locked we had a, a garden garden back alleyway with a, a wooden wooden door you'd climb over the wooden door to get into the studio if oh. i wasn't there <laughs> you kind of think oh my god this is terry Gilliam. uh but it was oh god it was just such a lot of fun you know, and then you can it now it's sort of embarrassing, but no, come on. That's, I mean, that's, those are, those are the days of, I don't know. I think we've all got memories of early creative days, uh, you know, of certain mm. projects and especially when they blur together, they're much better memories even. But I mean, just the idea of being involved with, you know, something that becomes a thing and on its own. And again, yeah. as you say, breaks Python in America. That's that's not nothing. That's uh, no, it, it is. You know? And and the other sad thing is that I don't have really any photo. I've got one photo of Mike, uh, Dave Hammond, and me in my back garden, my parents' ha uh, garden. Uh, that's the only photo I have of my early Python days. Wow. Just one photo because we're there to work. We did work. We never, you know, we didn't have phones to take selfies and yeah. that sort of stuff. So very few and far between. And somebody dug out a picture which was in the newspaper um, last year, I think. I mean, if I can find them, I can send them to you. If you I'd want love to. to see those, yes. That house needs a blue plaque on it if it doesn't have one already. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's got to happen at some yeah. point. Right. Um, I all right, so I I want to break down a, a couple bits and pieces in this album. I mean, uh, you know what? Let's start here. Do you have a memory or a few memories of like favorite tracks that you produced in this record? Um, no, I think it's a very well put together album. Actually, um, the um, I don't know. I, th I think the wonderful world of sound always makes me laugh, I of think it, it's, it's, it's just pretty outrageous. Mike's performance on that, when, mm -hmm. when he was doing the, the manic performance, was unbelievable, just to watch him do that. And it's, it is a shame we didn't have cameras then to, to film right. it, because it was extraordinary how Mike performed that that sketch. I, I do re I, Even to this day, I remember doing that. I still remember doing, uh, um, recording Eric the Half a Bee, yeah, uh, that was that was pretty um, that was pretty good. It was Eric and I on guitar and Neil Innes uh, on piano. It was it was yeah. I still remember how to do it. Yangtze Kayang was uh, another mm -hmm. terrific uh, thing. So yeah, I mean they're all good. They're all great memories. Yeah. They're all good. I I can't really just say that was better than that one because sure. it was a very balanced album. I thought and. Um, this Sorry. was supposed to be a three-track album, or the the three groups on the one side, that. right? It was, it was, and um, it uh, we did actually try it four times to have a, a four times uh, wow. for scrolling through, and the only way you could do that was by manually 
turning this wheel on on the lathe. Okay. Uh, through a microscope. <laughs> wow. Around. Okay. Uh, I've actually got the last attempt of four that nearly made it. Actually, I've still got the acetate. Wow. Somewhere of that, um, but we decided that we couldn't make it work. So what we did was we just joined the three sides together. Sure. And. Um, um, and that's why you get uh, a now massage from the Swedish Prime Minister, because what was going to happen was you put the needle on the record and it would start a now massage from the Swedish Prime Minister. Oh, damn, I didn't want that track. You put the needle back on the record and now a massage from the Swedish. <laughs> and whatever, whatever track you put it on to start with, you'd have to go through that message oh. to know whether you're on that same, that same, same so uh, good. Side. Well, I love in listening to it, I think the first time I heard this one, because this is one that I heard later, so I heard it digitally first, even though I've got the record. I heard it digitally first, and I was like, this is building to something, right? Until it occurred to me by the third time, I'm like, no, this is the exact same track. And I, I again, I think we talked about it before, I love a record that fucks with my head, and this obviously, <laughs> obviously does that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had lots of ideas on lots of records. Uh, we even had, well, one of the good ones, I thought, which we never got to make and um, these are things you could do on vinyl was um there was the record where you put the needle on and it would go to the middle uh and then you'd turn the record over and then you'd have to start from the middle oh. of the record and then it would work its way going on the outside but you'd have to be there at the end of the record to catch it otherwise it would fall off and <laughs> break, break your needle um but that was quite a common thing at the bbc in the um uh, uh, early radio days where they had their broadcast stuff off uh, record because uh, the quality uh deteriorated as you go the grooves get narrower as they go near the middle of the record sure yeah what, what, what they used to do was to run from out outside the record to inside, turn the record over, go inside to outside, and that. So it wasn't. It was a known technical thing that the okay. BBC used to do. So it wasn't totally unique. But we just thought commercially we should do that commercially. We never got round oh, to doing that. Damn. And also the exploding cover was another one. Which yes, I. Oh. And I think I, again, I think I, I, I had emailed you. I read that somebody was talking about potentially like revisiting that idea, but nothing ever came of it that I saw. No, well, the, the, the reason I believe that it never came to anything was that the record company thought it was a waste of uh, shelf space in a record store, by a one-inch record, because mm -hmm. the suit had to be one inch for the spring to burst through the cover, so you couldn't get the record back into the into the cover. So. I mean, but I feel like we're in the days where, I mean, I got, where is it? I've got one over here that is a, an inch thick, but it's just because it's a big old box set. I mean, today, this is the time for it, folks. Come on, record companies, get, get your stuff together. I... I think that, so, a lot of these tracks, as a younger man, I heard on compilations later, as can be expected. Um, do you, <laughs> who does the sound effects on Are You Embarrassed Easily? Is it one person doing all the mouth sound effects and all the other disgusting? Yeah, actually, that's mostly Alan Bailey, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's Alan doing uh, just about all of those things. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It is, I'm weirdly impressed by that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's how good Alan is. He's uh, he's terrific, absolutely terrific. <laughs> so disturbing. There's so much wrong with it. Uh, that I mean, that track has stuck with me such to the point where a friend of mine who was uh, later worked on engines as an adult, he's like, you know, Wankel rotary engines a real thing. And I, as a young man, I was like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, just because it just I don't know. It's it's obviously delightful and associated with so many laughs now. Hmm. Um, I uh, I'm I'm trying to look. There's just too much to dig through as I look through the actual list of of sketches. Um, do you, are there any specific sound effects that were particularly difficult to put together? That's the stuff I'm always fascinated by. Um, no, not really. I mean, okay. it, it, not not really. We 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 would just busk it, do it, and if it sounded right, we'd uh, we'd. I don't think there was anything really that was mm -hmm. um, complicated to do. Uh, one instance was was quite fun. Um, George Harrison rang me up about um, the explosion at the end of uh, Never Be Rude to an Arab. Uh -huh. 
And uh, George says, well, I'm doing this song about uh, the world, he said. And uh, he goes, Andre, he goes, um, that explosion you've got at the end of that record, can you... I've been looking everywhere. I can't find anything that's as good as that. Can you send it to me? And I went, yeah, sure. Okay, George, I'll, I'll do that. So I dug it out and all that. And that was that. He said, thank you very much. And I hadn't had the heart to tell, it, to tell him that it was Terry Gilliam blowing into a microphone going. <laughs> but I put it down to my recording rather than Terry Gilliam's. I mean, come on, you got to do that just right. Mouth. <laughs> it, it's it's that you have to, I, you know, as a person who's made a lot of explosions into microphones, I will tell you, if you do it wrong, it just sounds like a, your dumb face doing it. <laughs> Anyway, uh. so, so so there you go. You can you can fool some of the people some of the time. But as I said, I didn't. I I, I never told George that it was so terrible. funny. Did he end up using it? I am, by the way, the least educated on music person yeah. in the world. Uh, I believe he did. Yeah, I love I it. I have <laughs> uh, uh, one of our uh, the listeners to the show named Richard. I don't know if he wants me to use his last name, but Richard wrote in asking whose abdomen was the subject of the massage, um, or is that just a leg? Uh, no, that was uh, that was actually uh, abdomen, and it was Alan Bailey again. Again, tapping his bare belly, and and uh, yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight when we were recording it. But anyway, it was. Uh, but he had, he had the most flesh. <laughs> it's just so particular. Every sound effect is particularly rhythmic as well. It doesn't sound random. It's no. it's a particularly funny version of that yeah. sound effect. Well, you know, we'd record them and we'd go, okay, let's use that bit or that bit or that. You know, it, uh -huh. was, it, was, it was, you know, it was it was a, a case of it did it sounded what it was meant to do, and and mm -hmm. we, you know, if it didn't, we wouldn't use it. So um, it was it was good. So um, yes, it was uh, thanks to Alan's stomach. <laughs> when you get a, a bit like Australian Table Wines, that is literally just reading uh you know a fake news piece or a fake magazine piece what what's your concentration is it what music is gonna is gonna lead me in and out of this or or what uh, is there any particular thought put to making that extra funny no 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 not really you've got to kind of like um we played it serious i mean we didn't mm -hmm. say let's have some joking music it's good um i should have mind eric wasn't it did that one mm -hmm. so um we no, it, it it was just that um, you kind of listen to the sketch. You kind of think, okay, let's take this. What what would a serious wine show piece of music be like? So you find something that was suited. But the funny thing is, because it was so serious, it's actually quite funny mm -hmm. because what what, what the, the way that Eric delivers, and he's particularly brilliant at that kind of delivery. Mm -hmm. That. Um, and if you, if you listen to the travel agent sketch and, and other mm -hmm. things that Eric does in that in that vein, he's he's just terrific at this kind of sharp-witted kind of uh, di dictatorial person that comes in and mm -hmm. knows what he's talking about. And uh, and if you treat it seriously and you find something that isn't, if we put, you should put joking music on, and it wouldn't the the sketch wouldn't sure. be as funny. Yeah. So um, you know, treat it. You know, comedy is serious, and we appreciate it that way. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that again, I, you can't stop listening to. To the point, I, I I'm obsessed enough that I had to do this a few months ago, and make a, a <laughs> bottle of Black Stump Bordeaux because I I have no choice. I had no choice. It now stands on a, a shelf, and nobody ever notices it. But if somebody yeah. does, then you know that they're the right person. That's somebody to Fantastic. talk to. Fantastic. That's really good. <laughs> um. Oh my goodness! You know, I, I know that I've got a million other questions, but I, I may save save well, them. If you like, I mean, speak, um, yeah, Jason, I'm very happy to, you know, do a few more uh, yeah. over the following weeks if you like. I'm quite happy to do that. If you don't get them all done, I'm I'm quite happy to, to come back and get some more done with you. Well, I appreciate it because it's it's delightful talking to you about this, and I w yeah, absolutely no pressure, but I would love to see the photos you have. Um, uh, where uh, can people find you online if you want them to? Um, oh, that's 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 a difficult one. Um, I'm on Instagram at uh, I can't remember what my Instagram. It's uh, Monty you know Python's DLP. I think Love it, it is. Monty Love Python's. it. Okay. I know I follow you. Yeah. I'll have to find it. 
confirm that. So on yeah. Instagram and uh, Redwood Studios um, dot co dot uk is my web page, which my daughters put together and stuff. So, Delightful. and I, I don't really have too much. I don't do face Facebook. I, I just I don't really want to know what people's cats are having for dinner. Fair enough. No, that's absolutely fair. I I keep trying to get off of it, but I have so many podcasts to promote. No, I, I, absolutely, absolutely no, and and it's good for certain media stuff. Sure. I think for me, it, it's I just poisoning it. the world, though, Andre. So you're, it's good that you're off of there. Yeah, well, I took it for two weeks, and uh, uh, it, it drove me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, my God, there's more to life than this. <laughs> so, did you get to check uh, Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote out yet? I have not seen it. I'm so annoyed that I haven't seen it yet mm. because they, uh, my, a couple of friends of mine, did get to see it in theaters, and I think I was so miffed that I didn't hit that opportunity i was just like oh well uh, well i think you can buy it now on dvd i think um mm -hmm. and uh i think it's one of terry's best films today so uh, I, I cannot wait i mean it's one of those that you know as a, as a younger man i was just like when is this happening when is this happening i cannot mm -hmm. wait i cannot wait and just yeah i mean he's one of those people who maybe want to go into film so i yeah I no it's it. it was it was a fantastic to work on it was a joy to work on and uh, yeah uh, it was very hard work, but um, sure. and I love working with Terry because uh, his ear is as good as his eye, and mm -hmm. he, and and he's he's just he's perfection really, and uh, he um, he's yeah he's he's very visionary I think in his sound and vision, and and uh, he's I learned a lot from Terry actually I think don't I'll tell like him that man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Andre, thank you again for doing the show. Um, I would love to have you if back you on. A, if you want to do another uh, album over the next few weeks or whatever, just I'm I'm I'm, I'm around. I'm not, okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm happy to do that. I I, I will I will I will absolutely email you then. Um, everybody, hmm, sorry. I, I said I will listen to the album before we. Yeah, fair, uh, right? Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to. There was one other thing too, actually, about this record that it, I really love. That there's so many jokes about treating British as uh, being British as a, a condition, which I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> there's, that's one of the things about this record. At least the "Are you embarrassed easily?" thing. It just opens it all up with being English is, is a condition, and here's the rest of this silly record. Um, thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!